I'm Adam Wright. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven this morning, and it's good to be with you today. We begin today not only our show, but our Sacred Heart Novena. And so when we do our morning prayers this morning, we will offer our morning offering, but then we have day one of our Sacred Heart prayers. So let's get to work in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Day one of our Novena to the Sacred Heart, the amiable heart of Jesus. What heart can be found more worthy of love than the heart of Jesus, a heart pure, all holy, all full of love towards God and towards us, because all his desires are only for the divine glory and our good. A quote from St. Alphonsus Liguori. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to come forth and enkindle in our hearts the flames that burn in our Lord's Sacred Heart, to consume us with the fire of his love and destroy anything within our hearts that prevent us from being entirely his. O my God, grant that our hearts may only exist to love you. Most Holy Virgin Mary, pray for us. May we fervently pray for all souls to draw closer to our Lord's sacred heart. O my Jesus, you have said, truly I say to you, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Behold, I knock, I seek, and I ask for the grace of all hearts to grow closer to the Sacred Heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in you. O my Jesus, you have said, truly I say to you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Behold, in your name I ask for the Father for the grace to draw nearer to your sacred heart and the immaculate heart of your mother. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in you. O my Jesus, you have said, Truly I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Encouraged by your infallible words, I now ask for the grace for the whole world to know who you are and to know your love. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in you. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, for whom it is impossible not to have compassion on the afflicted, have pity on us miserable sinners, and grant us the grace which we ask of you, through the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, your tender mother and ours. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we come, mourning and weeping, sinful and sorrowful in this veil of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is good to be with you on this Wednesday morning, June 15th. As uh, we said at the beginning, you are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network this morning. Today, we have a lot in store for you. We are going to be talking about beauty. Um, You know, you're actually going to hear me talk about probably a lot of different paintings today because we're going to be talking about beauty and art. And then we're going to also be talking about um, how we are called to let our Catholic faith permeate every aspect of our lives. And so it's very easy to talk about when we're in the church or when we're in the prayer group or when we are in the home praying. But what about when we are around our friends? How do we take the joy of our faith out into the world? And how can we live with joy? You know, one of my favorite saints is St. Philip Neri. And why? Because he says that a joyful heart is easier to be open. It's easier for a joyful heart to be open, to receive grace. Um, you know, he, he says, cheerfulness strengthens the heart and makes us persevere in a good life. Therefore, the servant of God ought to always be in good spirits. But why is that so important? And how can that actually help lead others to the faith? Well, we've got some great guests lined up to speak about that today. Father Jeffrey Kirby is going to join us by phone in the middle of the show. And then Annie Hickman, who has a, a wonderful project called The Open Porch Uh, is going to be joining us as well by phone. But that's everything on the show today. As I said, we do have a lot to get to, but it is hot outside and we do need to check the weather. So let's go now to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Germain Cousin. Born in 1579, her mother died when she was young and her father married a woman named Hortense who hated Germain. Germain had been born with a paralyzed right hand, which was also deformed. This perceived imperfection was the original source of Hortense's cruelty, but that cruelty multiplied with the years. Germaine suffered constant physical and verbal abuse from her stepmother and her stepmother's children. Boiled water was poured on her legs. Ashes spread in her meager allotment of food. Dirt poured into her clothing. Eventually, she was thrown out of the house and forced to live in the barn where she tended to the sheep and survived on scraps of food. But through all of this, Germaine was not only never bitter, she was forgiving. With no education, she longed for Jesus and found him every day at Mass. She would leave her sheep in the care of the Lord, and they were always protected and made her way to Mass, rain or shine. One day, a farmer was watching as Germaine crossed a flooded creek, 
and saw the water in that creek part so she could pass. Stories of her holiness and love spread throughout the village, which made her stepmother hate Germaine even more. At one point, Hortense saw Germaine carrying something in her dress. In a fury, she ran out and attacked Germaine, accusing her of stealing bread she could give to the beggars. But when Germaine opened the dress, out poured beautiful flowers that could never have been found in the dead of winter. Germaine told her, the Lord wants you to have these as an offering of forgiveness. Because of neglect, Germaine struggled with her health all of her life and died at the age of just 22. But after her death, many miracles were attributed to her and 10 years later, her body was discovered uncorrupt. Saint Germaine Cousin, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. A few weeks ago, we were talking about our experiences at the St. Louis Marian Conference. And one of the joys for me at that conference was seeing a painting that I had heard about. Uh, I had several friends tell me, oh, you have to get over to the cathedral and see this painting before you miss the opportunity. Sadly, I missed the opportunity, but it was a beautiful painting of St. Joseph holding the Christ child. And when you look at this, if you can imagine for a moment, uh, you see St. Joseph, you see kind of the back of, of our Lord, you know, his hand is cradling Jesus, the baby Jesus's head. Um, but there's this light emanating forth from the Christ child that illuminates the face and figure of St. Joseph. And it's really something to see. I, I wish I could describe it to you better here on the radio, but alas, here we are. I was so struck by this beauty, I, I said to the artists, we have to have you come on the show. So we're very happy to be joined today by a brother and sister combination, George Caps and his sister Polly Caps. It's so good to have you with us today. Great to be here, Adam. And now, George, you and I have known each other for a long time through young adult ministry in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I had no idea that you produced such beautiful works of art. And when you sent me to your webpage, one thing jumped out at me right off the bat. We believe that authentic beauty grounded in truth is integral to human flourishing. And I started thinking about this because even as a kid, I remember summer vacation, the babysitter would take us to different places. We'd go to the science center. We'd go to the zoo. We would go to the art museum. And as time went on, I found that I liked Impressionism. I liked Monet. That's, you know, that's where I want to go first when I go to the art museum. But as much as I like Monet... It doesn't feed my soul the same way sacred art does. So I, I want to ask about this right off the bat. You say, we believe that authentic beauty grounded in truth is integral to human flourishing. George, what do you mean by that? Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously, Adam. Um, but, you know, the, the scholastics would tell us that sort of the definition of beauty is the attractive power of truth. So it's, it's how we perceive the good in what is true. And so if we're thinking about human flourishing, and really that means orienting our lives towards God, towards the good, toward, you know, with a capital G, towards the true, with a capital T, if we're orienting our lives towards God, we must in some way be drawn to him, be drawn to goodness, drawn to truth with a capital T. And we call that draw or that attraction beauty. And so to the extent that we can fill our lives with 
truly beautiful things, not just things that I kind of like this, um, but really things that orient us towards the truth about God and the underlying truths about our universe, the more we'll be prepared to live a fully human life. You know, this is not a new concept. This is something that St. Thomas Aquinas talked about in the Summa Theologica, which we're not going to get into an in-depth conversation on the Summa this morning. Um, But he says, the beautiful is the same as the good, and they differ in aspect only. For since good is what all seek, the notion of good is that it calms the desire, while the notion of the beautiful is that which calms the desire by being seen or known. And I love that he goes on to talk about how beauty is both seen and sometimes heard, beautiful sounds. But he, he says we don't use the expression beautiful for things like tastes or odors. You know, you never say, oh, that's a beautiful odor or that that, that dessert we just had tasted beautiful. We would never say that. Um, but you were talking about good with a capital G, that what's the ultimate good? And it's for us to be in communion with our Lord. And so to have things that speak to our desire to be with God, that's what you mean by this. We need these things to to flourish in our modern society. That's that's exactly right. You know, someone once said, I think maybe it was Dennis McNamara, once said that beauty is to truth as deliciousness is to food. So there's this intimate connection between the fact that food is nutritious and the fact that it's delicious. And the deliciousness is how we perceive the goodness of the food. And the same thing is true of beauty. It's it's how we as human beings perceive the goodness of what's really true about reality and not just how we wish it might be or how our society tells us it ought to be. Yeah. Now, Polly, let's talk about this for a moment. You know, you say we aim to answer the challenges of the present age by nourishing the human soul. So how do you go about that? You know, how does one even begin to nourish the human soul? It's a little bit of a of a daunting task, sure. Um, but kind of just again, kind of using that food analogy, the soul needs to be nourished as much as our bodies need to be nourished, right? In our in our faith journey um, here on Earth, and I think especially bringing it to the present and the challenges that we face right now, there is a real lack and kind of void. Um, in beauty that we see every day while we are so inundated with images and um, with so many things to kind of fill our senses with, so few of those are beautiful. I think that has a lot to do with a lot of the problems that we're facing in society. And so to try to have some of those images that people are seeing and that people are interacting with be truly beautiful with a capital B um, in order to kind of yeah, to give that nourishment for the soul. Now, what inspired you to do this? I mean, I know art has been a part of your life uh, for as long as you can remember. I asked you before we went on the air, you know, when did you start as an artist? And I think we agreed it was like preschool, pretty much. (laughs) As soon as you could hold a crayon or a marker, it started. But why, why devote yourself full time to this mission of spreading goodness and beauty? Well, as with anyone who is, you know, given you're given our talents from from God. It's a wonderful thing to use those talents in in service to Him. And so George and I both have this um, inclination, this passion for visual arts, and it seems to us that there's no greater use of that talent than um, just to try and give glory to Him. 
All right. Now, we've talked about you for a little bit here, but now I want to talk about our listeners. And, and I know you're out there, and you might be saying to yourself, oh, yeah, I love art. I'm a, I'm a great artist. And Or you might be like me saying, I can draw stick figures. You know, that the, the limits of my art stopped probably when I was in kindergarten. The ability didn't continue after that. Um, but beauty is something we can behold, whether we go to our local church or to our magnificent cathedrals. I think of the pilgrimages that some have made to Europe to see the cathedrals there. I recently was at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville, Alabama, and I was overwhelmed by the beauty of the sanctuary, by the beauty of the statuary, by the beauty of the monstrance, and just captivated by our Lord in such a beautiful monstrance. And George, I, I couldn't help but stare. I mean, it really drew me in and, and kept me there. So for our listeners who are saying, well, I, I'd like to experience some of this beauty, where do we start? Well, I mean, there are all manner of places that we can go to find authentic beauty. And, you know, you can go to the art museum and even something like an impressionist painting of a landscape. If it's well done and if it's good art, it can reveal in the created sensible thing, you know, that landscape that it's depicting, it can really reveal the divine source that lies behind it. It helps you see a glimmer of the divinity in created things that's always the starting point for finding God and understanding the incarnation. But hopefully in our churches, in in our places of worship, we'll find that beauty taken to whole new levels. And there are two reasons for this. One is that, you know, we build a church to be more impressive than a supermarket precisely because we want to be giving our best to God for this sacred purpose. And so we ought to fill our churches with kind of the pinnacle of our human artistic achievement to be giving glory to God and to be subordinating our human creativity to the divine order and this divine purpose. But in addition to that, you know, the, our churches are the places of the sacraments. It's kind of the place where heaven meets earth where we experience and receive supernatural grace through material things, the matter of the sacraments. And, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that when we describe art, we're using very similar language. We're through the sensible forms, we're getting access to some spiritual or insensible reality that underlies them. And so art and the sacraments go hand in hand, uh, not just visual art, but, you know, the, the music and you know, the, the poetry of the hymns and the liturgical prayers, all of that is part and parcel of helping us to experience uh, supernatural things through the created order. So in our studio here, one of my favorite paintings we have, you talk about works of art to help keep us oriented towards the good, towards our Lord, is a copy of Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son. And one year for Lent, I read a book that was written. The author literally sat in front of the painting to write his notes and write down what he was going to share in this book. And similar to Lexio Divina, I remember the author saying, look at this painting and, and imagine where you are in the painting, you know. Are you the prodigal son? Are you the father? Are you the other son? Are you those looking on? Are you in the shadows? Are you in the light? And it was a really great process. I would sit here and just look at this painting and start to ask myself those questions. Is that something we can do? Like maybe we go to a place such as the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis and one mosaic, for whatever reason, is really striking us. 
How can we enter into prayer with that? Is, is there a process as we sit there and just gaze at this work of art? Well, I think visual art has a great capacity to aid in kind of meditative prayer. That's why we have devotional images. and That's why we're interested in, in producing devotional images. Um, our, our senses have, have so much to do with, with our, our mind and our vision is often the, the strongest and most potent of those senses. And to have something that you can sit with and be visually cued to different messages and different ideas um, as you kind of travel around a canvas, that's going to, in the same way that your eye is traveling, your mind is traveling as well through those messages, through those symbols. Um, and so in many ways, sitting with paintings, that's, that's what they're for. They're, they're for that kind of really considered and time spent um, in order to really take in everything that the artist is trying to convey. And Adam, I'll just add, you mentioned that you can look at a work of art and it's really open-ended in terms of the possibilities and the avenues as a viewer. And that's one of the amazing things about art. And it's it's a different way of getting to truth than like a scientific treatise is, where if you're reading a scientific paper, you are describing reality, but the goal is to be as precise as possible and leave as little room for you know open-ended interpretation as possible. Whereas the beauty of art or any kind of poetry really is that it does bring you into these transcendent experiences and allows you to access truth, but it's in a way that is um, much more personal and much more like a relationship between the thing that you're viewing and the viewer himself or herself, depending on where they may be coming from. I remember recently my, my good friend Patty Schneier, who you hear every day here with the Daily Dose of Encouragement, was sharing pictures of the new Newman Center at Southeast Missouri State University uh, right after Bishop Rice dedicated it. And the pictures, I, I feel like I'm going into a, a church that's been there for 100 years, mainly because a lot of the appointments he was able to bring for the chapel are about 100 years old. But above the altar and above the tabernacle, there is one phrase inscribed, and that's cor ad cor loquitur. And for our non-Latin scholars, heart speaks to heart. So I think that's one of the joys of, of beauty, whether it's in the music or in the visual arts, these paintings, these mosaics that we might encounter, the statues in our churches. It's really an opportunity for God to speak to our hearts uh, through this work of art and just by casting our gaze upon it. I know when we pray the rosary here in the studio, I often just stare at this beautiful statue that we have of our Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Fatima, when we pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, or through the day when I just reflect on the Sacred Heart of Our Lord or pray to the Sacred Heart of Our Lord, I, I stare at the painting we have of the Sacred Heart, and it creates a great focal point for me so I don't get distracted by the cars driving by outside the window or the keyboard clicks or the, the speaker playing what's on the radio because we always have to be listening to make sure that we're on the air. Um, it really serves as that anchor and that focal point so that God can speak to my heart. So, George and Polly, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And friends, I would encourage you this summer as we move through summer vacation with the kids or the grandkids or your nieces and nephews, take them somewhere to see beautiful art, whether that's the art museum or a church or a shrine, wherever it may be, go find some beautiful art and let it nourish your soul. And if you're looking for something in particular to pray that rosary, 
I'd head over to Our Lady of the Snows in Belleville, Illinois, and go to their rosary courts where they have some beautiful mosaics to help you focus on the mysteries. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven, but don't go anywhere. We will be back after this. The Memorare to St. Joseph. Remember, O most illustrious patriarch St. Joseph, on the testimony of St. Teresa, your devoted servant, that never has it been heard that anyone who invoked your protection or sought your assistance has not obtained relief. In this confidence I come to you, my loving protector, chaste spouse of Mary, foster father of the Savior of men and dispenser of the treasures of his most sacred heart. Despise not my prayer, but graciously hear and answer my petition. Let us pray. O God, who by your ineffable providence chose St. Joseph to be the spouse of your most holy mother, grant we beseech you that he whom we venerate as our protector on earth may be our intercessor in heaven. Amen. Friends, we are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network, and it's one of those favorite times for me, a time we get to talk with Father Jeffrey Kirby. And Father, I've got something uh, that I'm really excited about today. It's how to pray like a Catholic and, and how to party like a Catholic. So first off, good morning. Good morning, Adam. It's going to be on the show. I'm already excited. I'm not sure where we're going, but I'm excited. All right. No, I, I think I think we're going to... We're going to have some fun here this morning. I want to share with you this quote from St. Jose Maria Escrivá about the dinner table apostolate. And uh, St. Jose Maria says, It is the old hospitality of the patriarchs together with the fraternal warmth of Bethany. When we practice it, we seem to glimpse Jesus there presiding as in the house of Lazarus. And here's, wow. here's the money line. It is urgent that we strive to re-Christianize popular celebrations and customs. It is urgent that public amusements, public amusements should no longer be left to face the dilemma of, of being either over-pious or pagan. Ask God to provide laborers for this much-needed work, which could be called the Entertainment Apostolate. That's from St. Jose Marie Escrivá, The Way, paragraphs 974 through 975. I share this, Father, because a friend of mine, every time he would have, uh, when he was a bachelor, he'd have these big parties once a month at his house. It was fire pits outside and, and bourbon and cigars, and he would always put that last part, that it is urgent to re-Christianize these celebrations on the invitation. And I think sometimes that's the uh, the kind of the false dichotomy that we perceive, that we either have to be, you know, any activity we do is either going to be incredibly pious and 100% devoted to the Lord, or it's going to be incredibly pagan. And um, as we like to say on the show, we live in the via media with our, our Christian faith, that there is a middle road. We are called to be pious people, and we are allowed to enjoy fellowship with our friends. And I know this is something that, that you preach about a lot at your parish, that we have all these great saints that we get to celebrate. But then on the flip side of it, we also have great opportunities to come together as a family of faith and just celebrate. So I wonder as we begin summer here, and everybody's thinking about the barbecues and the family get-togethers and the friends coming over and the, the backyard games and all of those wonderful things— how do we do that as Catholics? You know, how do we take our time for prayer? But then what does Catholic celebration in our social life look like? Yeah, you know, Adam, I'll tell you, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I just, just recently in, in my own spiritual reading, um, I've been reading Jewish commentaries on portions of, of, of the Old Testament. And 
have been very much both renewed but also challenged by the emphasis that's given in Jewish theology to hospitality, that the Jewish people are called to be a people of hospitality. And, and, and that, of course, is challenging because we're all spiritual Semites, and, and as Christians, like we are called to, to the most excellent way of love of the Lord Jesus. And, and I think the same tradition holds for us, that we are called to be a people of hospitality. And, and I think about, you know, growing up as a, as a, as a kid, and, and we were you know, in a military family, so we bounced between what was then West Germany and, and Texas, as my dad was, his unit was training for, for new weaponry and various things. But, you know, one occasion, one assignment, we were in Clean, Texas, and we were in this neighborhood, and the family uh, on the corner, the Lancasters, I still remember their name, um, Christian family, but every Friday night, my goodness, we had a party like you wouldn't believe. Barbecues, and they'd break out the guitars, and they're just out there playing and, and singing songs, and, and all the kids would be together, and so on. And, and I tell these memories to people, and they're like, what? Like, yeah, like we were, it, it was a great neighborhood, right? And, and that Christian family was salt, light, and leaven. Like, I remember my own parents, they were young at the time, uh, being mentored by this older couple, you know, who were older middle-aged at that time. Uh, very much like were, were, were out there, they were involved, like they were leaders in the neighborhood. And, and, and not because they were trying to be leaders or, or, or show some type of authority, not because they were trying to you know, intimidate people, but they were authentically salt, light, and leaven. And, and I thought about that just, again, as I was studying this, these Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament, and I thought, you know, that's, that's what we need to be, as you're, as you're saying, Adam. Like, this is what the Christian family needs to be in their neighborhood. You know, we, we don't need to be having people show up at, at our homes and making them uncomfortable by just talking about Jesus if we're doing kind of a, a Bible study. What we can do is invite them and show them the love of Jesus and say, hey, this is the abundant life. Like, you know, we can fast, but let me tell you, we can feast. And and, and being those leaders, as, as you described your friend, like, you know, welcoming people and having parties and showing that hospitality, because my concern is that we are so tired and so worn out, and so there's so much hustle and bustle uh, in the world today that what happens is Christians go home and they just crash. And they just don't want to be bothered. They don't want the neighbors to talk to talk to them. They don't want more things to go to. And, and understandable, like we live in a busy society. But with our conversation today, maybe there's this part of the cross we haven't really recognized fully, that we're called to die to ourselves and say, you know what, everyone's tired. And if, and if we don't take a step forward, then we're going to really miss an opportunity because I tell you, Adam, what happens is when we do those things as Christians, people show up and people are happy. Widows are consoled. Single people find community. Younger parents find consolation and mentoring from older parents. Older parents are encouraged by younger parents, find a little more pep in their step. Great things happen. And we have the power to do that as Christians. We're called to do that. So I think this, this concept of hospitality and, and, and allowing you know, this this aspect of our faith, what St. Paul calls holy fellowship, to really become a part, again, of how we live out the Christian way of life. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses of sacred scripture that we heard not too long ago on the third Sunday of Easter. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 12. Come, have breakfast. 
And I always <laughs> laugh, you know, Father, I always laugh when I say that. But I think of uh, some of my friends uh, and, and some of the, the folks we have come in here and do this radio apostolate with us. We'll do the show, and then we'll go out and have breakfast. And it's not a prayer group. You know, we're not going out to breakfast and spending an hour in a scripture study or praying novenas or litanies. And we have times that we gather to do those very good things. But it's just going out as a couple of guys and enjoying each other's fellowship. And in those informal moments, what I've noticed is exactly what you're saying. It's the, you know, guys, lately I've been struggling with this or or uh, as a father, as a husband, as a professional working in a business. You know, those conversations happen so organically in those moments, whether it's at breakfast or on the golf course or, for me, the driving range, um, you know, whether it's the front porch ministry, as I like to call it, saying to my neighbors, you know, if I'm out on my front porch enjoying a beverage on a cool summer's evening, by all means, come on over. And if I have enough to share with you, I will happily share with you. And if you don't like what I have, by all means, bring whatever you want, but come over. I've got chairs. That's the most important thing. Come sit on my porch. I have chairs. Amen. Amen. And, and I'll tell you, let, let's draw from the letter of the Hebrews just to, to really encourage uh, fellow believers uh, the author of the letter to Hebrews tells us there are times when we show hospitality and entertainment to others, and we might actually be entertaining angels without knowing it. Wow. So, you know, we think of Abraham in the Old Testament. Uh, he sees the presence of God through these three angels, and Hebrews tells us that there are times in which we entertain angels that are not aware of it. You know, so I, I think that the more we retrieve this notion of, you know, as Christians, as Christian families in the midst of neighborhoods, that we do have this call. Christian families have the call you know, to be that leaven. You know, and, and again, it, it, it's as they are able, it's of course with the age of their children and so on, but you know, to, to be the difference. You know, sometimes, like, like you're saying, have you got chairs on your porch? Sometimes it's just putting the grill in the front yard and cooking up some hot dogs and saying, all are welcome. You know, bring your chairs and, and hey, we're making up some hot dogs and, you know, like, come on by. The times that this has happened, people have been completely shocked by the full response of people. Because Adam, I'll tell you, as we live in a busy society, we live in a lonely lonely society. And when people see opportunities for fellowship and to be with other people, they're going to jump at it. And I think this can be a Christian moment where if we really retrieve this notion of hospitality, and we really become leaders in neighborhoods and opportunities for fellowship, I think we can give a, a witness to the Lord Jesus in ways that we... we Never imagined. You know, it's interesting. We have all these programs for evangelization and apologetics, and and so and we need them all. They all have their place. But wouldn't it be funny if the answer was just having a chair on the porch or some hot dogs in the front yard, and that's actually how we're going to bring people back to the Lord or bring them to the Lord for the first time? And it could really be that simple. Yeah, you know, Father. As we wrap up here, I think of another benefit of this, and that. My children are, well, I've got one in middle school, and soon I'm going to have another one in middle school. Luckily, I've got one more year before that happens, and my daughters are getting older, and my son's at that age where I wouldn't be surprised if he starts expressing an interest in some of his uh, peers, you know, some some of the, the girls <laughs> in the class, and, you know, we're not there yet, and I, and I thank God for that. But as we as we think about that, you know, I want to know who my children are spending their time with. And we're very guarded of our children at a young age. We don't let them just go over to anyone's house or spend the night at anyone's house. We want to know where they are, what's going on, and we want to trust the people that they are with when we turn them over to their care. And I think of my childhood. 
Um, you know, I, I was in one of those high school romances, that, and that's exactly what it was. But I was always welcome at their house, and all of the neighbor kids were always welcome at their house, and everybody knew everyone. And my high school sweetheart, her parents knew everyone because they welcomed them all into their home. And by extension of that, they had that confidence that, okay, I'm I'm okay with who my daughter's with here right now and and who she's not with, and I want to be that parent. Like, I've always thought of that when I think of parenting, that I want to be that parent, that I want to know that my kids are with good people, and the easiest way to do that is to invite good people to be with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, especially with the younger generation, just getting them off their electronics and, and having real interaction and, and real interaction in your home. So as you indicate, Adam, like you, you know who your children are with. You know the parents of, of the children and, and young people that your children are, are with. I, I think, again, this could be a, a great endeavor as Christians to kind of retrieve that sense of hospitality. Like, uh, you know, okay, all, all the kids are invited over, and, and, you know, it's a healthy environment, it's a, it's a virtuous environment. And to say, hey, why don't you guys bring, bring your parents next week? We're going to do something with, with you know, parents and kids. We're going to have some, you know, um, fellowship out in the backyard or something. I, I think that the more we are leaders in that as Christians, I think the more we make inroads in terms of evangelizing the culture, showing the abundant life of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, and allowing people to encounter the Lord in different ways than what they have previously done. So I, I, I'm loving this conversation today, and I, I really hope that the listeners are, are, are feeling you know, a little push from the Holy Spirit that maybe there's one small thing they can do or one step that they can do in their neighborhoods or among you know, their, their children's friends or, or the you know, people their children might be dating. I think this is the best way for us to go. I, I, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah. Well, Father, I want to thank you for sharing these, uh, these great reminders for us of the importance of this and how God can actually work through the ministry of the barbecue, as we've labeled it today. And I think every guy out there listening, you should be, you should be contemplating. Are you called to that uh, part of your vocation as a husband and father to be the, the minister of the barbecue? Right, friends, and there's a, there's no formal act of installation. You just move the grill out front and barbecue the hot dogs, and, and you're in. Uh, Father, could I ask you to close us with a prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His let His face shine upon you. May grant you His peace. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, Father Kirby, thank you for being with us, friends. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Earlier in the show, we were talking with Father Jeffrey Kirby about how we need to party like Catholics and also pray like Catholics. Or maybe I've got that backwards. I'm a little focused on the partying this morning, but really how our faith, it's so intimately involved in the rhythms of our life. And one of the things that Father said that struck me was, this is what the Christian family needs to be in their neighborhood. We don't need to be having people show up at our homes and making them uncomfortable just by talking about Jesus as if we're doing a kind of Bible study. What we can do is invite them and show them the love of Jesus and say, hey, this is the abundant life. And immediately... I thought of our next guest, Enny Hickman from the Delray Collective. He and his wife have what they call the open porch, where they have actually been doing this. So, Enny, it's a, a joy to have you with us this morning. And my pleasure. It's, it's great to be with you this morning. So we're talking about how, as Catholics, we can kind of go out and evangelize. Not kind of. We can go out and, 
and do evangelization just by connecting with our neighbors. And as we mentioned, this is something you have some hands-on experience doing. How did this come about for you? It was a long process. I mean, obviously, I grew up in Texas. My family's from Louisiana and very Catholic, Cajun family. We're going to do both. We're going to pray hard, but we're also going to eat and we're going to drink and there's going to be dancing. I don't remember ever learning how to dance. It was sort of just the rhythm of my family that on a Thursday night or a Friday night, my grandparents had what we called the little house where we'd go out in the back and they'd turn on the record player and we would sit out there for hours and do as Southerners do. We call it visiting. (laughs) I don't know if that translates to all of your listeners, but visiting just meant being together. And occasionally there would be neighbors that would come in, cousins, aunts, uncles. We were rolling. This was the late 90s, early 2000s. We were coming home from church one day, and my son, who was about five years old at the time, I hear he and my wife talking, and she says something like, well, you have to ask Dad about that when we get home. So we're coming home from church. We sit down. We're having pancakes after Mass, and my son said, Dad, can we meet our neighbors? And I said, okay, that's a strange request. Why, buddy? We were living in a cookie-cutter suburban home outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Every house looked the same. It was the type of neighborhood where you drove into the driveway, shut the garage door before you got out of the car so that you wouldn't encounter your neighbors, right? What's going on? Why do we need to meet our neighbors? And he said, my Sunday school teacher said that Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors, and so I thought we should meet them. Wow. (laughs) So, of course, from the mouth of babes, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, say that again, son? Like, Jesus said to love our neighbors, and so I thought we should meet them. All of a sudden, it hit me, right? Like, could Jesus have meant neighbors? (laughs) Like, how did I miss this, that my neighbors were my neighbors, and that the command to love them as myself That didn't just pertain to my neighbors in Haiti and my neighbors in developing worlds or my neighbors that I'm going to preach to or do a parish mission, but my neighbor neighbors were actually my neighbors and that those were the people that were put in my life right there next door. And so this sort of was another conversion in our life where we began, that was 2008, we began this outreach, this apostolate open porch, and began welcoming our neighbors into our home for a weekly meal, and that's it. Just no agenda that we would welcome them into our home. You know, hey, bring something to share, sort of like a potluck, but we would prepare a big dish, and we'd have music going, and that sort of began the process of of thinking that, hey, what if Catholics on every block, if there was something like this where we were able to introduce people in a very low-pressure, soft-landing way to the joy of the gospel, that could work. (laughs) You know, the idea of conferences or Bible studies or come to the church and this and that, those are all great and fine, and we all, we need those. We need sacramental prep. We need apologetic. We need all those things. But to re-evangelize a culture that is, in my opinion, is, is, you know, post-Christian, it's going to take the witness of family and the witness of the good life, in fact, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, on our cul-de-sacs. And so, Our goal and mission is to empower and encourage Catholic folks across the country to just begin with opening their homes in a Christian way, being hospitable, and welcoming their neighbor neighbors 
with open arms. So that's kind of how it began. That's what we're up to. Well, let's talk about that for a moment, because it would be easy to say, all right, Annie, you're taking the kind of the easy way out on this. I mean, really, is having people over to your house for food and fellowship, is that really leading to conversion of hearts? And I know that the answer is yes. So I, I want to know, could you share with us some of the fruit you've seen come with this? What, How yeah. have lives been changed just by the simple act of opening your home? I think the first principle that we operate under is the idea that this is God's mission. Jesus draws people to himself. We're asked to love our neighbors, not convert our neighbors. So starting with the agenda to love as opposed to convert or increase the number of followers, we pray for that daily. We pray that God's Spirit does that in our gatherings, but it really can't be our agenda. So starting kind of there at the baseline of, I'm not welcoming you into my home for some agenda. I'm not looking at you, pointing at you. I actually have compassion. So really, kind of the mode of where you start really is, it corresponds to the fruit. Because I've had experiences before where I have had to have hard conversations, this, that, whatever, and those haven't really ever been fruitful. I can give you a thousand anecdotes, but one always stands out to me. Delray Collective is actually, that, that comes from the name of the street that we began this postulate on. This was our house. It was on Delray Lane. So we started there, and one of our neighbors was one of these guys that just had face tattoos were his thing. Not the type of guy that you want to encounter at night. Just had that sort of look. And we, hey, come on over. We're going to do this thing. We're just going to grill. We're going to have a beer. Come eat with us. And so literally years and years, he and his family would join us weekly. And it was about two and a half years in and he came over. I could tell there's something off and he's a little miffed about something. And now he always had trouble here and there. And so I figured it was something at work or something going on. And, you know, I was, hey, what's bugging you right now? What's going on? And he said, Any, I found you on YouTube. You're like a preacher guy. He goes, you're all over YouTube preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus Christ. He said, when are you going to tell me about Jesus? You know, there was this moment of, wow, man, that wasn't my agenda here. But I can tell you now, it took that amount of time to sort of depressurize the situation. So he and his family, we began to meet, we began to talk. He actually didn't end up converting, but his wife and his kids began inquiry and came into the church that next Easter. It was a lesson learned for us that you can't take too long to begin to talk about Christ, but also that when the invitation comes from those on the outside looking in, like obviously, I mean, you come into my house, see the religious art, we pray before our meal, we pray the simple blessing, you know, bless us, O Lord. We have it on the wall where people don't know it, they can read along with it. So there were some elements of Christianity But he never assumed that I was going to sort of shove it down his throat or that I was going to point at something that he was doing wrong. But when the invitation came, the opposite direction, right? Like true education is one where I am curious and want to know. He wanted to know. He wanted to know why I believed what I believed. I'd say that for us, the greatest fruit has been just in our family. I think that comes from the same word, discipline. And it's the discipline of saying, no, this is my life is for. This is what my faith is for. This is what the Spirit, the Spirit is not just for me. The Holy Spirit is for 
the world. This is not a unique way that I can share the Spirit with people. This is actually, it's the easiest. It's the lowest impact. It's the most ordinary thing to do, and it doesn't take that much effort. We could talk about this, and and we could go on and on, but I think the, the practical takeaway for us is, Love your neighbors, you know, which means meet your neighbors and open up your your porch or your yard and say, come on over and let's just get together and get to know one another because getting to know one another is going to open up the door for those conversations when the time comes to say, yeah, "Yeah, you know, you're in a difficult phase in life and I've been in a difficult phase and here's how my faith has helped me. But you have to have that relationship to be able to have that conversation. So, Annie Hickman, I want to thank you for these great ideas. Um, If if folks wanted to learn more about the Delray Collective, where could they go? DelrayCollective.com. That is our website. I am Annie, E-N-N-I-E, four on Instagram. You can follow us there. Wonderful. Well, Annie, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Friends, open up your porches. That's that's the moral of the story for us. We're going to take one last break here on Roadmap to Heaven. We'll get you a check of the weather and the daily dose of encouragement, and then we'll be back to wrap up the show. Stay tuned. Every day this week, we are getting closer to Father's Day, and that is the topic for our daily dose of encouragement. And Patty Schneier... I see you brought a book with you today, so you must have something in store for us. This is one of my all-time favorite books. And again, I'm not a father, but I read it and went, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and it's by Meg Meeker. And she, I know, is a dear friend of Teresa Tamio. So if you listen to Teresa Tamio here on Catholic Radio, she often has Dr. Meg Meeker as a guest on her show. This woman is amazing, and she wrote the book, again, Strong fathers, strong daughters. If you want a Father's Day gift for your dad, I highly recommend it. And today, I can do no better than to just read some nuggets from this book to encourage our fathers. She pulls no punches. Here's what she says. Men, good men, we need you. We, mothers, daughters, and sisters, we need your help to raise healthy young women. We need every ounce of masculine courage and wit that you own because fathers, more than anyone else, set the course for a daughter's life. Your daughter needs the best of who you are, your strength, your courage, your intelligence, and your fearlessness. She needs your empathy, assertiveness, and self-confidence. She needs you. Meg Meeker goes on to say, when your daughter's in your company, she tries harder to excel. When you teach her, she learns more rapidly. When you guide her, she gains confidence. If you fully understood just how profoundly you can influence your daughter's life, you'd be terrified, overwhelmed, or both. Boyfriends, brothers, even husbands can't shape her character the way you do. You will influence her entire life because she gives you an authority she gives no other man. I'm telling you, this book is amazing. It says, she goes on to say, she can't feel good about herself until she knows that you feel good about her. And husbands, fathers, the only way that you will alienate your daughter in the long term is by losing her respect, failing to lead, or failing to protect her. So Meg Meeker gives some very strong words for husbands and fathers. Her chapters are amazing. I just want to highly recommend the book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters by Dr. Meg Meeker. And one final note that I learned, I want to share this with all men out there, is that your daughters are seeking the answer to two very important questions. Here is what every young girl 
is actually asking as she goes about and maneuvers through life. The first question she's asking herself is, am I beautiful? The second question she's asking is, am I worth fighting for? And every young girl, believe it or not, is going to get the answers to those two essential questions from her father. Am I beautiful and am I worth fighting for? So fathers, especially in raising daughters, it's a huge task. It's a noble task. But there's a book out there to help you called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. I highly recommend it. Get it. As a father of four daughters, this daily dose of encouragement really hits me today. And Patty, I am very grateful for this. And I'm going to go get the book. So thank you, Patty. We are almost out of time on today's show, but I do want to remind you of something coming up. This is a great opportunity for almost everyone in our listening area. And for some of us, it means we might have to make a bit of a pilgrimage, a bit of a drive, but I think it will be worth it. For the first time ever, the relics of St. Bernadette Subaru are being brought to the United States. They've actually been here for a while, going from city to city. And the relics will be in St. Louis, downtown St. Louis, at the Old Cathedral on Friday, July 8th, and Sunday, July 10th. They will be in St. Louis on the 9th as well, that Saturday, uh, but they'll be at the Cardinal Regali Center in Shrewsbury. All of the information you could want to know about this, including the masses, uh, the, the mass to receive the relics, the mass at the end of the time of veneration over the weekend, can be found at oldcathedralstl.org. Um, they are anticipating high crowds, so some things you do need to register for. It's free to register, uh, but they are requiring registration for some things. Um, the schedule keeps having more and more added to it. It's going to be a beautiful opportunity, and we'll be talking about that as we get closer to it on the show, but I want you to save the date now. Friday, July 8th through Sunday, July 10th, the relics of St. Bernadette Subaru will be here in St. Louis. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I want to thank George and Polly Caps. Father Jeffrey Kirby and Eddie Hickman for being with us on the show today. I will say this. I do not regret taking the time to go venerate the relics of St. John Vianney when they came through the United States. So I'm looking forward to the relics of St. Bernadette as a spiritual pilgrimage. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.